0: Welcome to the CENTCAST. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the Managing Director of B-Squared and the host of the CENTCAST, the podcast for special needs. Every week on the podcast, we're talking about something within the world of special educational needs. We're doing this to help improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there is less guidance, less money, more demand and continual changes, Teachers, SENCos, leaders, and in reality all staff in schools need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives and hopefully the SENcast is that answer. In this episode my guest is Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie is the curriculum manager at the Sixth Form College Farnborough. She has spent her teaching career really looking at how pupils learn and adapting her teaching to support all pupils. In this episode we're discussing how we should think of students as icebergs and as ever with Susie there is lots of fun. The Sencast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared and over the last 25 years B-Squared have supported schools to support students with SENB. Over the last few years we have started doing lots of new things. For years we focused on assessment this will always be our main focus but we have seen a lack of high-quality, easy-to-access training and CPD for schools around SEMD. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with the Virtual SEND Conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, which is www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be sharing an exclusive Sendcast discount code, so keep listening. Now, let's get on with the podcast. This week's show is on how students are like icebergs, and we need to support the whole child, not just what we see. My guest this week is Dr. Susie Neumann, the Curriculum Manager at the Sixth Form College in Farnborough. She is very passionate about discovering how children learn and supporting them in ways which enable them to succeed. She has provided training to PGCE students at Kingston University and a number of local schools and colleges on teaching strategies. She also delivers talks on multi-sensory techniques around the world. Welcome to the show, Susie.
1: Thank you very much, Dale. I'm really looking forward to talking about students being just like icebergs. Oh, here's one I prepared earlier. There's a really nice iceberg. Just going to chip away quickly. There we go. Guess what's inside, Dale? Percy Peak floated in there when you weren't looking. There we go. So on with the show.
0: For those who don't know, is when Susie came and recorded with us on her first ever podcast with us, it was her birthday. No, was it your birthday? No, it was it your... Was a at,
1: celebration of 25 years teaching at the Sixth Form College. And she
0: bought a bag of Percy pigs. So ever since then, it takes to teach term. So I have a bag of Percy pigs to open Excellent. for me and Susie to share throughout the podcast. It's, <laughs> it's a math. bit of a tradition. It is. And uh, Susie has um, embedded a poor Percy pig in her iceberg. And uh, hopefully she won't hit the Percy pig with the hammer. Yes. <laughs>
1: So it was John Fischetti that actually said every child deserves the education that's right for them. And I heard him say that when I visited the Learning Difference Convention in Australia. Are our students accessing the curriculum in the best possible way to meet their needs? And he said a teacher's like a brain surgeon. His or her scalpel is their pedagogy. He or she shapes the minds of the future through passion, knowledge, resilience, flexibility, intellect and artistry. And in fact, a teacher's impact is five generations at least. The current generation we are teaching, then that student's children and grandchildren. He or she impacts that student's parents or carers and grandparents by how they are doing in school. We are now teaching 22nd century learners who have yet to be born our learners' grandchildren. Teaching impacts the past, present and the future for at least 100 years. This is the innovation stage. So when we look at students and we're looking about supporting them, we need to know about their individual needs, their strengths and weaknesses. And do we really know about all the students' individual needs when we're working with them in the classroom? And this is where I came up with the idea of the student iceberg.
0: I just want to go back to that five generations because you sent me the PowerPoint last night and I flicked through it and I hit that page. And I was like, yeah, when you aren't just impacting that child in front of you. You are impacting their parents and their children. And the number of children who said a teacher inspired them to go and do something and be passionate about And often that passion they will pass on to their children and children, a lot of them do follow into their parents' professions and things like that. So yeah, by you getting that child sparked and interested in your topic, you are motivating and inspiring a lot of people, not just that child sitting in front of you.
1: Yeah, so my students come back and see me 20 years, 25 years later. And since we moved back to Farnborough, sometimes I see them in the changing room at the village and they say, oh my goodness. You taught me 15 years ago and then they start talking and then I I found find out about them and they're they're following the footsteps, you know, of their parents. But in some cases, their children now want to go and study health and social care with me. Yes. I've That's actually had that recently.
0: You see, I can imagine you are you are amazing. You are yeah. <laughs> as we said before this, I could stick you in a room with anyone and they will be inspired and listen to you. And I think yeah, people who sit with you and work with you and listen to you, you will inspire them and they'll go off and live their lives, but they will transition that inspiration. They will pass it on to their children without a doubt. Yeah.
1: Some of the information that I've spoken to them about, I've taught children's, um, I've taught their... Children, you know, students I taught 20 years ago, now I've taught their aunts, their uncles and their children. You taught my mother and it's really embarrassing. Oh, my goodness, when I teach the grandchildren, you know you're too old, you need to leave. (laughs) So, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be in a place for a long time and um, make an impact on those generations.
0: So back to your icebergs.
1: Yeah, the top of my iceberg here just... I just need to quickly chip away. There we go. Um, The top of the iceberg has success. And and at the end of the day, students want success, don't they? They want to be successful, but there's a lot of factors that would enable them to be successful. And there's a lot of factors hidden under that iceberg. Um, And particularly with students with SEND, um, you've got to know about their individual needs. Above the water... We've got these visible ideas here that they want to be organised, they want to achieve good grades, they want to complete their homework if they can, they want to enjoy time with their friends and family, but enjoy their other talents and make sure that they do continue with their other talents such as music, drama and sport. And I've had students in my classes who have been GB swimmers, you know, and it's really important for them to carry on with that because they really, really enjoy it. And I've got a girl at the moment who's an ice dancer and she gets up and goes ice dancing at four in the morning. And I said to her, have you met Torval and Dean? And she said, yeah, yeah, I've met Torval and Dean. I just thought, oh, that's amazing. You know, it's really important to carry on with what you're good at because you've got something to look forward to.
0: Yes, And it is, if you've got something you're going to enjoy, it's an escape as well. It is. It's really important.
1: Yeah, it's really important to have somewhere to escape to Um, and just sort of empty your head of all the pressures of the day, I think. Yeah. Um, At the moment, we've been doing aqua aerobics down at the village. And we've got I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. She went on loop one day and I was jumping up and down. And dancing and singing and we've got Bohemian Rhapsody and you're just there singing away. Even the boys in the jacuzzi were singing that night. They weren't even in the aqua aerobics class. But you come out so refreshed. And so it's really important for students to have something to escape to, something else to do uh, to get away from all the hard work they're doing all day, every day in the classroom. So the visible bits here, I've got a boat on the top of my iceberg because I'm really interested in the Titanic. (laughs) I'm sorry just to go off piece a little bit, Dale, here.
0: So we had 10 minutes before the Titanic was mentioned with icebergs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you know the film, The Titanic?
0: Okay. I've never seen it. Okay. And I'm going to try and avoid. I'm guessing it sinks.
1: Yes. (laughs) As it goes down, there's a priest saying some prayers you know as the boat sinking and that priest was Father Thomas Biles and he was the parish priest of the church in Ongar, where I come from in Essex and there's a stained glass window to Father Thomas Biles in St. Helens Church in in Ongar in Essex dedicated to Father Thomas Biles who died in the Titanic um, all those years ago. There we go. So above the water, we've got a cruise ship today, actually, not the Titanic. It's not sinking. And those visible things that those students want to do are know where they're going to go to, what university or job, know how they're going to get there, know what grades they can achieve. And it's really important for them to be realistic about those or know which university or apprenticeship or job that will actually accept them and prepare for that, that journey that they're
0: going to embark on. Because when I think of the iceberg, there's another one where people, you say like, gracefully, I might look like a swan gliding across the water, but underneath I'm swimming like anything, just trying to, trying to keep going. Yeah, And there's, there's that sort of thing. There's what you see and what there is underneath, but you're kind of losing the iceberg is, on top of that, there is stuff they're doing, there's things they need to know. So it's not what you're seeing, but also what they have to share with you is the top part. There's a whole other world underneath.
1: There is a whole other world underneath. And you know what? My favourite game is to play Inspector Clouseau. I spend all day playing Inspector Clouseau. It's good fun. And I I, I love watching the Pink Panther and Inspector Morse and all that sort of thing. I think watching all those (laughs) programmes has given me those skills to be able to unravel what earth is going on with these students. And so underneath that iceberg, um, basically the biggest thing is Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the physiological needs at the bottom of the hierarchy, where basically, you know, I've asked my class yesterday morning, how many of you have had breakfast? And it'll be five out of 20. They just don't eat, you know, and they'll, they might have some food at lunchtime or nip down to Costa. And they've got to be feeling safe in that classroom in order to do their work. They've got to feel love and belonging. They've got to be, feel part of that group. And they've got to feel as though they've got good self-esteem. And if they haven't got good self-esteem, you've got to butter them up a bit there. And eventually they might reach self actualization do their work, get a distinction star, do really well and go on to the next stage. But sometimes, you know, as they come in the room, I can tell in the first minute the way they sit, how they feel the way they tilt their head, the way they lean forward, the way they try to stick their feet on the table, which isn't a good thing to do, or swing back on the chair. And just their face, you can tell, you know, how they're feeling. And if they're not feeling very good, then see what the problem is. And sometimes you look at them and you see their face crack. I said, oh, do you want to come outside? And We go outside into my multisensory garden and have a quick chat. So it's having these strategies to use as well not only detecting there's a problem but actually then being able to speak to them outside get them away into a safe zone and then signpost them on up the line if they do need any more help so you're looking here Maslow's hierarchy of needs number one really really important i think for every teacher
0: and i think also remember um it's important the teacher thinks about their pyramid and where they are as well Because whenever you talk about this, it's important for you. You can't support others too well if you're not in the right place. Mm -hmm. So for all of this, take care of yourself and then you're better equipped to take care of others.
1: Yeah, and Action Jackson talks about that all the time. He does a lot of um, webinars about it. It, You know, in order for a a teacher to support a student, the teacher's got to be in the right place themselves and they need to be supported too. And they need to have that confidence to be able to go in there and and look after those um, students in the classroom and help them learn.
0: Because if you're you're not in that great place, if you're not content and things like that, you're caught up in your own things. You've got your own worries, your own concerns. You're not in that great place, which means you're not going to see what's going on with other people. Yeah. You won't have the observational skills because you're caught up in your own world. It's only when you're quite confident in yours, you're calm, you're feeling all of those things, you're fed, you've got that sense of belonging, and all those things, then you can. You've got you've got um, capacity to think of others and look out for others and support them.
1: Yeah, and it's it's nice to to help other people, you know, and it makes you feel better. I think with my blooming marvelous on a Monday and the lock, looking after mental health. People, yeah, it's really, really good. It's good to help other people do something. It is, it is. And they really appreciate the smallest thing. You know, if you take them a cake or a packet of biscuits, it changes their world. Um, So it's really, really important. Um, We had Christmas dinner with them recently and I got these little glass um, cups, a bit like shot glasses from one of the local charity shops. They were blue. I put them in the dishwasher. They turned out silver. What was that all about? But we sat there with the people and we filled them with um, shredded paper and then chocolates, truffles from Costco, because you get a big tin full for next to nothing. And then we wrapped them in plastic paper and put them on the table for the Christmas dinner. And each person sat by it and there was one girl, she cracked it open. She was oh. I've got four chocolates. I put seven in my ones, but the other boy put four in. (laughs) I'm going to have one every week because I'm on a diet. And it it made a day, you know. It's only something small. You do something for someone else, it makes their day, it makes them feel good. And also if you, you are having a bad day yourself, if you've looked after them, they'll look after you. Definitely. And that's what it's all about, helping one another. Yeah. Yeah, so that's Maslow's hierarchy for you. Yeah, really important. But below that water, you might have students with disabilities. You might have someone in a wheelchair. And I had a student a few years ago who was in a wheelchair. She had an electric wheelchair. But what's really interesting is that she told me she can pass a test at 16 instead of 17. And she got um, a VW caddy and she cruised in and she came out in an electric wheelchair and she used to go rowing. She used to go rowing in the evening and she had um, she only had one arm and, and the other one was sort of a stump. I don't know what happened there. But she used to go rowing in the evening, really enjoyed herself. And she used to go to concerts with her twin brother all the time as well, because she would get half price ticket being disabled and her brother would go as a carer. She used to go all over everywhere. She was out doing loads of stuff. So that was really good. And The number of students uh, with high needs at college, we've got 4,000 students. It's about 20. We haven't got lots. You know, it's not going to be like Henry Tyndale School, very close by, that's very high special needs. We've got a few and we've got a lot of lifts and and ramps and adapted um, environments to enable those people, those students to get around the college. And the study support's quite big now, so they can um, help push them around in the wheelchairs if it's not an electric wheelchair and enable them just to join as as the same as all the other students, that, be one that, of the gang.
0: Yes, and that's that's important, and it is. And the more you can make them feel, you say, the belonging part and the part of it and all get rid of all the worries, the more they're going to engage and the more it will kind of grow, doesn't it? Mm. That feeling grows and gives them more confidence to do more things.
1: And that some of them, you know, they really join in. I remember using a lot of glitter and making posters one day and I got the Henry out and the, and one of the girls, you know, she said, oh, I'll hoover, and she only had one arm and she was there whizzing around the room because she wanted to join in, you know, and she really, really tried. She tried really hard and she wanted to do everything, you know. She was whizzing around in absolutely everything. And really showed the able-bodied students up in a way because she did more than they did.
0: Yes. You sit there and, and sometimes you sit there and you, you have those self-pity moments. And then you see some of the news and you just say to myself, really, and you're sitting you're here feeling sorry for yourself and look what they're achieving, look what they're doing. And Yeah, it does make you take a stop and think and go, come on. You can do. You can do better. You can, tr- and it is. It's taking the first step. It is trying. You always put all these barriers in front of you, don't you? After time, and you watch someone do something. You're like, well, if they can do it, they can put themselves out there and try. I can do it too.
1: My class was studying recently the eye, and yesterday we had lime baking with Penny Melville Brown, and she does a special session for open sight on a Monday, the second Monday of the month. I put Penny on at half past ten. And she was there doing a live Zoom and um, Penny was making um, special things for Christmas, you know, like um, hummus and stuff like that. And she says, anybody got any ideas to put anything else in? My students didn't realise that it was a live show. They thought we were watching a video. And I said to my class, do you think I ought to mention um, a a certain thing we could do, like um, she was toasting some... Um, pumpkin seeds, and she said, what other flavours could we add? And she'd added soy sauce, and I said, how about wasabi? You know, like wasabi peas, make it Mm. nice and hot. And um, the girls go, are you really going to ask her, Susie? And I said, yeah. And I said, hello, hello, Penny, it's Susie here. She says, hello, Susie. I said, I'm actually in a lesson. And I said, my class are watching you. And they were so inspired by her. Cooking, you know, in front of that, and she's completely blind. And she went, Hello, class, how are you? And I was so excited. They said, can we to watch some more Penny because, you know, they don't see blind people as being able to cook. No. Um, you know, and, and so it was absolutely brilliant. And they're going to go and make some shortbread tomorrow, I think, you know, or the rest of the week. They're going to follow Penny's recipes. She's got lots of videos on YouTube and she's been all over the world cooking as a yes. blind person.
0: Yes, I, I I came across about a month ago. So I mentioned that it, it was like, wow. But there is, it is, you just, again, you have, you put so many stigmas in your ideas in your mind that, yeah, how do you do this? How do you do that? And there's people on, I use Reddit a lot where, people there are just some disabled people who are on there and they ask those questions they ask those questions you're going how do you and they go this is how i do it and they just show a video and they're just really happy to share this is how i do things you're going never knew never even thought about that and it is phenomenal
1: she's got talking scales so she puts the flour in and, and then it tells her how much is in there and she's got a talking thermometer so it tells her when it's the right temperature and then when she times it, she goes, Alexa, 15 minutes, please. And then all the Alexas go off all over the country. <laughs> and of course, when the 15 minutes is timed, her Alexa goes off, you know, it's finished. And then all the other ones in the background with everybody watching goes off as well. It's oh, quite funny. It. So, yeah, it's really good get, getting inspiration for people that are disabled or visually impaired or blind or whatever. And inspiring people that you can do it. Yes. It's definitely. really important. Yeah. Um, also, below the water, we might have people with chronic illness or they're caring for a relative and um one of our students actually she she had cancer when she was doing her g c s e s and she did these in um in a hospital in london and What happens is that students who are carers for a family member have a better understanding of meeting those needs, and they become really good nurses. And sometimes they achieve higher grades in their exams because they can apply that theory to practice because they've actually done it.
0: Yes. And it, it does give you, I suppose, there's the medical side, but there's mm. also the caring side and taking that into consideration mm. and the impact of various things. And yeah, is that you'll get a lot from that if you are a carer yourself. But I think if you're just a carer, there's a lot more that will impact you. So your priorities will be different, which will have a big impact on your work, but you will bring lots of different things to the class.
1: Yeah, and also they quite often they know how much time they have and they finish their work quicker. Yeah. Because they they target that time. They do value their time. And we've got, you know, again, 4,000 students at college, but less than 20 that are carers, and a lot of those carers probably will be in health and social care, so we'll come across them. Um, And sometimes... They might be helping a family member, and we're studying about that condition. And sometimes they they want to talk about it, and they're very knowledgeable, which is really good and sharing the information.
0: Because something you, you you read something, you'll see it, uh, thing, ADHD is blah 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 blah. Mm. Autism is blah 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 blah. And someone goes, "Well, no, actually, this is what it looks like in the real world." My mum does this. My dad, mm. it the, the actual real day to day picture is so much more of an eye-opener than just reading a paragraph about a condition or, or children care for their parents. And you're literally going, oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds nice. Oh, no, there's a, you don't get the emotional baggage and all the stuff which comes with it till someone tells you who's been through it or is going through it. So much more meaning.
1: It does, it does. And and here um, in this area, because Aldershot is home with the British Army and we're so close to Aldershot stuff impacts when the when the parents go away, when the when the people, you know, working in the army go away and, and they're away on on manoeuvres um or secondments for a long time, you know, those those students haven't got a father there or a mother there because they're away. And we have over fifty students um that have forces parents. But I think, you know, years ago we had a lot more because the 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 army's reduced in size, hasn't it? Um, A lot of the barracks have all been demolished and um, there's new houses there now. Um, So, yeah, you have to be aware of the impact of moving around. And and I remember speaking to a student who said, oh, I've been to Germany and Catterick, and, you know, all over everywhere. And um, but it's difficult to make friends because you're only here for a short while and then you move on again. And you sort of got to be aware of that, that their, their friendships are very short term, whereas others, they've been friends, you know, since nursery or something like that.
0: And generally, each if you had two children, that's a one person who's travelled around the world and the other person who hasn't. The person who hasn't we well, be probably very jealous of that person who's travelled the world. Well, the person who's travelled the world is probably jealous of that person for having a friend for the last 10 years, who've always been there, instead of having a new friend every year or two. And that's what's interesting is the perspective yeah how you see that and how they see that um and it's interesting when you are talking to children and thinking about things is understanding their perspective and their mm-hmm. viewpoint and their experiences rather than how I'd love to do that it's very very different
1: it is very different and and these are vulnerable learners and these learners might not just be you know forces children they might be, because they're forced to children, they could be financially disadvantaged because it could be that the mother can't work because they has got to sort of hold the whole family together. And some of these um, pressures experienced by these students during the pandemic were really, really difficult to cope with. And I was in a lesson one day and um, I knew that there was a student in the background and, and they went off the call. And then and then they sent me an email and said I'm really sorry, Susie, but the electricity ran out. My mum had to go and top the card up, and that really got me because I then I had no idea that this would happen. You know, yes. And I, it's difficult to say you feel sorry for them. You you, you feel worried about it, and you try and put other strategies in place to help them? Would you like to come into college, you know, during lockdown um, and come and work at the library where, you know, you'll have warmth and access to computers and things like that? Um, so, yeah, that's that's been quite tricky, I think, in, in the pandemic when um, the students at home might be sharing a laptop computer um, some of them have, haven't got a, a computer at all. They're following the lesson on their mobile phone. You know, that's quite difficult looking at that small screen all day. Yeah. Um, so we um, we actually loaned out quite a few Chromebooks to help those students. But, you know, they might not even have internet. So we also gave them some dongles. And that's just over about 100 that that would be on bursaries at college out of 4,000 and to keep a watch on them. And we put green dots on the register so that we're aware of who these people are. The green dot means various different things. It could be a forces child. It could be um, free school meals or something like that. So you can see on the register, you know, who these people might be are and just to make sure they're okay. As I said before, some of them have a complete lack of food and and don't eat anything and so you watch their concentration just plummet by lunchtime I used to make popcorn in my classroom but you know Covid can't quite do that anymore and you'd have this popcorn machine firing up and I used to make a cone of paper and then put the popcorn in and pass it around and as soon as they'd eaten something you sort of wake up again um, which was really nice to see but There was some research at the um, John Modaisky Stadium, um, not Modaisky Stadium, the John Modaisky School. Um, The man that uh, bought the stadium actually opened up a school in Reading and, and they did some research there and they saw that if you gave children blueberries, it actually helped their concentration, which I thought was quite interesting. But to be honest, my students any food and they'll concentrate better.
0: My daughter gets hangry. Oh, does she? she yeah. You're literally going, wow. And then you're going, oh, I need to give her food. It's like the Snickers advert. Yeah. Yeah, where somebody's a right diva, you give them a Snickers bar and they go back to being normal. It's a little bit like that. and Really? And I can imagine, yeah, that if she gets to hangry, how long before that was she really not really paying attention, wasn't great. And so, yeah, food and being comfortable and being fed is huge. And just... One child sitting there who's been fed and arriving at school Mm. and has no worries about food and has plenty versus that child who hasn't had food and not sure what food they're going to get. Very, very different um, concentration.
1: Yeah, I mean, one boy said he hadn't eaten for two days a couple of weeks ago. And I said, well, you have to eat every day. You know, it's really important. He came to my lesson. He just sort of shoved his head on the desk. And I said, you need to eat something and had some sneaky sweets for
0: open evening in my drawer.
1: (laughs) I said, which one do you want? Lemon, orange, strawberry? And he took a couple of sweets. All of a sudden he woke up. It was amazing.
0: It is huge. And also um, dehydration. Yeah. Making sure you get enough liquid as well.
1: Yeah, we do encourage them to drink water. Sometimes I go and get them a glass out of the cupboard so they can get, go and get a drink if they're thirsty. Yeah, so, yeah, that's important too. Drinking and eating. Basic, but... It is basic, Maslow. And you
0: assume... Don't you? You do? You assume think? every child comes to my school or class and fed and stuff and not all of them. No. It was, um, it was this, I went to a conference years ago and it was a school up in Newcastle and they were talking about how they use their pupil premium mm. and they basically use it to do a breakfast club mm. at half seven in the morning. Mm. And it wasn't a breakfast club where they just come in before. No, this was where they gave breakfast out mm. and they often had. A queue of children outside the school at half seven waiting to come in so they could have breakfast
1: and that might be the only meal that they'll have in the day
0: the two school two meals they get in that school is that child's food Mm. and when you sit there and we're we're in we're in um Berkshire Surrey Hampshire lovely area not many issues and just hearing about this I just couldn't imagine what it would be like for those children I just I can't
1: it's really tough I know our one of our our chiefs uh, for health and social care said that she's got a friend who's not very well off, and um, she lives off a packet of custard creams of twenty p, so that she can buy shoes for a daughter. I mean, you know, that's in the northeast. That you know, that's sometimes that's what it's like. Um, but you just want to help them, don't you? Do whatever you can yeah. to help them um, and, and give them a good start in life. Yes, which is which was the sure start. Um, scheme wasn't it yeah and that's why they started breakfast clubs but we don't have breakfast clubs at college i think it'd be a good thing to have breakfast clubs too there we've got some more vulnerable learners and these might be um you know looked after children they might have found it difficulty in lockdown where the clap where the house was quite overcrowded um some of our students actually the looked after children one, I had a couple of my classes actually. One finished really early because she wanted to do really well. She wanted to earn more money and so she could go and do some more work at her part-time job. Another one stayed and stayed and stayed in the class because she just felt safe there. She just wanted to be there. yeah. And she just hung out until the end because she just wanted to be at college, you know, and, and, and not be at home doing nothing. And they're worried about the next stage because they're not sure if they're going to have the same support available at university or wherever they're going to go. So we have less than 10 looked after children at college. It's not that many, but we know who they are and we really look after them. We had a dedicated person that looks after um, those looked after children and and then liaises with the other services that, that are needed, you know, on their journey so other ones that are going to come in we're going to have an EHCP plan and about 3.7% of pupils in all schools have an EHCP plan. We have just over 10 with an EHCP at college. And these students are meeting or exceeding their aspirational target grade which is really really good. These students that have quite high needs they're then supported in the classroom through the study support teachers. And we've got this study support area that it seems to be like a safe haven. You know, they hang out there at lunchtime and and see one another and support one another, which is really, really lovely.
0: Yeah, definitely. People where they feel connected and they've got – I know a safe safe place always sounds like it's dangerous elsewhere, but it Mm. is a comfortable place. Yeah. I think it's a better term than safe place, a comfortable place.
1: Well, they feel happy and they can just hang out with people that are similar to them and they're not judged. Yeah, okay. We come across, uh, I mean, in health and social care, we come across a lot of students with dyslexia. And it's about 5.1% of pupils in all UK schools have got dyslexia. And those students might have been identified, but there's loads more, about 17% in, in, in UK schools, where they're unidentified. And actually what study support have done is they've targeted particular subjects where that GCSE score might be lower. And so they do in-house, we call it lucid testing or free writing to see if they might require access arrangements or extra support, you know, through study support to help them on their journey.
0: I was going to ask you about that because you're you're a sixth form college. So they come to you. They've been in the education system for years and you've talked about looked after forces and all of this and the green dots. So... You would have hoped by the time they get to you, you have all this information, they've been identified, yeah, they've been passed on for you, but you said with dyslexia you're still identifying children, students who need support. Yeah. And, but that won't be the case. Lower down, you might be still identifying these children.
1: Mm. Most of them will be identified by then, but we've noticed in health and social care because our students may have other needs, they might be carers, they, they might be under the radar – They might have got to us and they haven't been screened. And then we'll notice that they're taking quite a while to process the information. They might be falling behind with their work. or you might just have a student that says to Susie, I can't read the names. I can't read the scientific terminology. I had two students that said to me, I can't read the word esophagus because they said, I find difficulty reading the words. They're all moving around the page. They're jumbled up. And so then we can signpost them back to study support to get some more help. But I think, you know, we've got a good system. We've got self-referral and we've got teacher referral and stuff coming up from schools as well. So hopefully they'll all get picked up and, and get the help they need. Excellent. I find the students with dyscalculia interesting, although I don't teach maths. If you can't read a watch and you can't tell the time, you can't get to the lesson on time.
0: No. I find it interesting when my daughter started secondary school, there was a thing of how can I help my child prepare for secondary school? And it was uh, the first thing it said, make sure they can tell the time. And it was like, surely by 11, everyone can tell the time. But No, 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 no. My daughter still struggles with analog clocks.
1: Mm-hmm. She's in
0: year eight. Digital clocks? Yeah, I'm there. Analog clocks. She'll look at it and go, what does that say? So, uh, yeah, so you think, oh, everyone can do this because I could. And that, again, you're putting your assumption on what you could do and assuming everyone else can do the same. But, yeah, I think things like that, if you can't do things like that, and that's a basic skill. It is going to impact other skills as well.
1: We had a student a couple of years ago. She couldn't read a clock. She used to turn up half an hour early for a lesson just to make sure she was there on time because she just didn't know what the time was. And she would come in into the staff room and say, oh, I've come to meet so-and-so. And so and we say, but you're half an hour early. Oh, 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 I'll come back, but she didn't really know when to come back because she couldn't read the clock. And that was that was quite scary to think that poor girl. You know, she, she had no idea of what the time was.
0: This is a phrase: quarter past. Just, go, just give me it in minutes. Yeah, fifteen. Okay. Yeah. It was like, surely we've got that out by now, but no, she just so.
1: They're used to looking at their mobile phones, aren't they? And that's digital. So as long as they can work it out one way or another, that's good. We're, I mean, we've spoken about before below the water, mental health issues and how that impacts on the student and emotional baggage that they're coming in with. Yeah, And, and I've had over the years, students just write to me and say, I just can't face coming into school today. I can't face coming into college today because... And and it's important to support these students and maybe signpost them to the counsellor, you know, to help them in the future. But for us, in my first three weeks, I call it brainwashing. I talk about mindset, fixed and growth. And they say, oh, I'm going to get a pass. I say, no, you're going to get distinction. And you, you say, you can do it. You just need that scaffolding. You just need to know the way how to do it and convert them from, oh, I can't do it, to, oh, yeah, I can do it. I'm going to do it really, really well
0: you're trying to change all the things they've been told for years. You Mm. can't, you can't To You can if you're given the right support,
1: Mm.
0: which is very different. And there are multiple reasons why I can't happen. Time, pressure and money and probably being a big part. Mm. Um, But a lot of people with support can achieve amazing things.
1: Mm.
0: And the support could be permanent support or it could be temporary. It could be like the uh, learning wheels on your bike. You have them for Mm. a bit as you get this Mm. bit. Once Mm. you've got that bit, I can once I'm going, oh, I can start to feel the balance now. Oh, I don't. But to start with, you needed those. So sometimes support is a short-term thing and it helps you build confidence and then you really take a step on your own. Mm. But often that support is needed and it's not always given. Mm. And just helping someone see that you can do it with a bit of support With a bit of someone believing in you.
1: That's what's written over my door. (laughs) If you believe, you can achieve. And they keep saying I can't. I go, no, there we go. If you believe, you can achieve. And that's so important. It's all about them believing in themselves.
0: But sometimes it takes someone else to believe in them first.
1: That's very true.
0: Because sometimes... Uh, you, there's so many stats around SEN, but often it's there's behaviour or they're not supported and things like that. And oh yeah, spend a life outside the head teacher's office or disrupting the classroom and things like that. And it goes with these things, mm-hmm. and they just yeah, you can't. This is you. That's what you're going to be able to achieve, and to actually let go somewhere where someone believes in them, and says, "There's another way," and the reason you're struggling here because a lot of time. All, um, generally all behaviour is communication, isn't it? Mm. So if there's negative behaviour, what's the reason? Which is digging through this iceberg, working out the reason. Or she's got a hammer out again, she's going to dig in that iceberg.
1: (laughs) Oh, there we
0: go. (laughs) And we really do have a block of ice with a pussy pig in. (laughs) Um, And it is, it's picking through that and working out what that behaviour, what's the cause, unpicking that, and then changing the story, which a lot of the time can be done.
1: I always think um, if you look at the behaviour of a student in the classroom, if they're messing about, they're messing about for a reason. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a girl that's always sort of larking about, and I said to her, she was, there was only two of them left, and I said to her, do you know there's always a reason why someone messes about in class? And I'm dying to find out what your reason is. I said, it could be that you can't access the information. It's too complicated. And she said, that's the reason. I find it really tough. I find the science really, really hard. And so it's a distraction. Yeah. A way, you know, and not to look stupid. It's a smoke screen, really, so that you're not saying, oh, you're, you're no good. And and I know I can tell really easily, you know, she was the one I put gave her the cards to put on the on the walk in heart, and she said, I can't read the word Susie. And that's why I then referred her to study support.
0: You said a couple of things there, where you said, oh, you're up because of this. For her to tell you the reason, mm. there's a lot of trust there. Mm. So you've already, you're at the top of that hierarchy of need, you've kind of ticked those yeah, boxes, you're there, yeah. she's trusting, and you're saying this, you're literally saying, you're not misbehaving because you're naughty, you're misbehaving because there's something affecting you and you don't know how to say it. And you, you say that and they go, yeah, you're right. That's huge.
1: Yeah, it's easier just to mess about, isn't it? But for, to actually find out the reason and then do something about it, because maybe in the past at school she's messed about and they just say, oh, you're naughty. Um, but there's a reason why she's behaving like that and she needs some help. She needs some help with decoding scientific words, understanding what they are, remembering the spellings and things like that. And so then we would sign poster to, to as support to
0: get more help but a lot, a lot of children with SEN will misbehave with air quotes, but mm. just play up or just not be that model student for various reasons. Mm. It could be they're struggling with various things, or it could be in reality in that lesson they're only really using ten to twenty percent of their brain, mm. and the other eighty percent is bored, and they're just fulfilling their they're occupying their brain they're bored and they're and it might be, it's various reasons and it isn't a case of, well, they should be interested. It's like, no, no, for them to do the work you're setting doesn't require their entirety of their brain. They can do it on ticking over. They need something else and they can play up and misbehave and do things because they're bored.
1: Yeah, and, and then it's not, it, you know, it, they're not getting fired up about the subject. Um, recently, I was... Listening to one of the admissions officers from Coventry University for nursing, and she said, We really want those students to be able to understand some research. And in the last month, I've been going top down, talking about the research I did at St Bartholomew's Hospital, and then linking all these things into what they've got to understand. So, for example, you have, um, for diabetes, you can have a circle on your arm that detects the glucose below the skin, and then you can zap your mobile phone on that, and that then tells you your glucose levels. You know, this is current research, isn't it? It's the most exciting stuff going on. Um, and the students, I've had them this morning, they just sit there and they're going, wow, you know, this is amazing. And so every time I do a topic, I then go, oh, what's the latest on that? And then I'm just firing their brains up. So they're thinking, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. And then they can go away and look it up. The boys at the oratory always said, Miss, can we have another amazing but true fact from you today? And i just tell them some very strange comments um, about things linked to the subject, you know, with science. And they'd loved it. And I think um, with my students, they want that too. They want some amazing but true facts. So to give it to them, they're sitting there going, Wow, and they can go away and look up a bit more information
0: on um, a website called IFL Science. Mm-hmm. The I is I, the F is a rude word, and the L is love.
1: Oh, okay, fair enough. I haven't IFL at Science,
0: but if you follow them, if you're on Facebook and you follow them, yeah, you just get random posts every mm-hmm. day about. And I generally would go off and read them, and they're generally like um, they always have humour, something which gets you interested, and I and I, it really generally interests me. I go, what? And it is generally that's one of those scientific facts which are true but weird mm. um and you go off and read about it, and I just read so many random things they've just got my interest with a mm. random fact which is true, and I have to go, it "Can't be true," and I read it all and go, "Wow, mm. yeah, it gets you interested,
1: yeah, and that's really important, isn't it? Yeah, I've got to keep those students interested instead of going from the bottom layer going over and over and over actually give them something really exciting to, to spark their yes. curiosity, which is what it's all about, isn't it?
0: And and you might find that some of these children, you, it's been generally not at the right level. Either you're too high for them or you're too low. My nephew, who's in year eight, reads A Brief History of Time. That's, that's his level of book.
1: Oh, my goodness. Then he'll,
0: he'll go, oh, I want to know more about it. And they go and research stuff because that hasn't got enough detail. And he goes and sits in year eight science and is bored out of his mind. And the teacher will have a hard time occupying his mind.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Well, <laughs> will. I think new scientists would be quite a good place to start. Yes.
0: but, it's, but So, yeah. yeah, he won't be engaging in lessons. Um, he did a group activity and he's not good socially. Mm. So he ended up sitting the entire lesson not doing it because he wasn't in the group and the teacher didn't notice. So, uh, but yeah, so there's a lot under the water with all these children and all of us, really?
1: I think so. And I think with a lot of them, you know, we, we spoke earlier about the carers and their time management, that they can actually isolate a particular section of time and say, right, I'm going to do my homework then, and it's done. Whereas others that are out and about, you know, going to the clubs and all that sort of thing, they they won't get the homework done and you have to keep on and on at them. And, and they need to know the boundaries and the limits. And uh, I spent some time a couple of weeks ago with some students about time management. And I was saying how it's really important to put in the things that you enjoy doing, like watching Strictly Come Dancing on a Saturday night. Put that in your timetable, then work around that and see that, oh, half an hour after Strictly Come Dancing, I could learn the key words and... Um, take the dog out for a walk and when I get back maybe I could do some work then and just fitting it all around and they said they called it scheduling um but they said that was a really really useful thing to do
0: I, I do that with my daughter we'll sit there and I know she's got homework I go, what, what homework have you got and she'll go I've got this and this I go cool so what are you going to do today and she'll tell me well this morning's gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and basically she'll fill the day up and I'm like well why don't you do that this morning after lunch, before you start that, just get your homework done at that point so it's out of the way. And then you can go on to this. So she's not missing out on anything. It's just helping her think, when I do this, so she doesn't even have to leave her activity. By doing it right after lunch, it's easier to start. Yeah, she's also, she's she's eaten. she's eaten. She's not having to stop something to start it. She's got a natural break and then she can start the homework when, when she finishes it, she's into a game or whatever, drawing, and she's off. It's just, yeah, helping them pick good times to do things.
1: Yeah, and also moving from surface learning to deep learning rather than just, oh, I'll just whack that off and then at the same time you're stroking your phone and watching the telly and and everything else, actually turn all the noise off and just sit there. Maybe background music, but just sit there and concentrate and get into that zone. And sometimes I say to the students, just do some real deep learning and then look at that information and go deeper and deeper into it, and, and they just go silent, and they're just so interested in what they're learning and, and, and discovering.
0: Yeah. I, I need I need the background, but my head will be full and occupied. It's block, it blocks out. So I, we're sitting here podcasting. I can hear noises outside the office, the room we're in, and my head's going, oh, what's going on now? What's going? And I, my mind wanders. But as soon as you have music on, mm. it blocks the other noises out, and it just means my head can dive into what i'm doing. Mm. It gives me that release. It block it allows me to just focus on what i need to.
1: That's really good. I think sometimes uh our students are underneath the um iceberg. You have no idea how long they're working at their part-time job and i know we've discussed this before when you went to college and yeah. you really enjoyed earning money. Yeah. And that was your motivator. Yes. But, you know, working all those hours can then mean that, you know, getting back really late at night, you've got lack of sleep and you can't concentrate in class. Or it could be, you know, something like hours and hours of practice with that hobby, such as, you know, um, the the GB swimmer, as I said, or or the ice skater or a musician that's out playing all day and all night at concerts or in bands and things like that. And that's going to affect the ability for that student to be able to concentrate in
0: class too. It's a fine balance because for me, I miss lessons to earn money. So I didn't even wasn't even in the classroom to be able to concentrate because I was motivated by something else. And, and I, I, I talk to my children about short-term happiness, long-term happiness. Short-term going to work, putting money in my bank, I was able to spend it. That wasn't helping me long-term get to where I wanted to be. So it is, it's is—it's important to help people see that although you're getting an instant return on doing that, it could actually be negatively affecting your future
1: mm.
0: and helping them understand that. Mm. That can be a quite a hard lesson to learn. And sometimes... It might come years later that they've realized I shouldn't have done that. I think that's what teaching is about is it's, you know, said it, it's co- your coaches as well. You're teaching and you're coaching. So you're teaching them a subject, mm-hmm. but you're coaching them on so much more, aren't you? You're, teach- you're coaching them on how to live study skills, life skills, organizational skills. You're really hitting so many things while you're teaching a subject.
1: I had the governor come in one day when we were doing our quality improvement plan thing. And he came in and I just lined up these hats. And I said to him, you have to go through all these hats here in front of me, these party hats, before you even get to the teacher hat. You're a social worker, you're a mother, you know... um, all these different things, you're a trainer, you're a coach, you're assistant citizen's advice bureau, <laughs> you know, you, you you work for sexual health because you have to tell them all about contraception. There's so many things that you have to be. And the last one is a teacher Yep. because there's so many other things that you have to juggle when you're a teacher. And, and you have to look at the whole student, their needs. You're looking at how they're sitting in front of you looking at their eyes, you know, you, sometimes you look at their eyes. I remember looking at a girl recently who was struggling and I just looked at her eyes and I thought, you're not coping. And you can just tell, you know. So my whole iceberg is all about the whole student, what they look like on top, how how they're going to get there, but underneath, what's motivating them? What are they struggling with?
0: And I suppose you, you can have two children who on the surface are similar. Yeah. And one of them could have a giant iceberg underneath. Yeah. And some of it you might be aware about, but it could be a whole load you're not aware about. Yeah. And another child could have a tiny iceberg underneath. In reality, yeah. is actually, they've got not got a huge amount of challenges, kind of ducks are in a row, mm. but there are still things so one of the things, um, Ofsted have um, released some seven answers they or questions they've got about, I don't know if you've seen this, Susie. And it was um, various random things they go through and ask questions. Some were quite going, well, that's obvious. But one of them was the impact of COVID didn't, I think it was um, easily correlate with known um, groups who struggle. Mm-hmm. So it's not like... COVID is going to have a negative impact on all pupil premium, all free school meal, all forces, children, all is actually, it can have an impact on the high achievers because of how home. So, and that was interesting. It's, mm. it's, you might think of with your green stickers, these mm. are the ones you typically will be struggling. We need mm. to support. But right now, some children who would not be in a concern that iceberg's grown underneath over the last two years.
1: It has, but also um, it's shrunk. And I think for some children, um, particularly with ADHD, we've got some neighbours who've got boys with um, autism and that family unit being close together and helping one another, those children have calmed down. And actually it was the opposite. I know a lot of students um, didn't have the services, students with special needs didn't have the services they required, but I saw it sort of hands-on that actually the, the children calmed down and they found their own boundaries and they felt safe at home. You know, they felt safer at home than at school when everything's changing around them. So in a way, it was a good thing, but so many other children didn't cope with it. Uh, one of our students uh, who had um, very poor health they actually bought something called an AV1 bot, which was a robot. And she interacted in the lessons through this robot during lockdown and in, um, and even when we came back to college. And that robot was then put into groups and she could work with groups of students. And then um, the robot would light up if she wanted to ask a question. And they'd ask the robot a question. Lizzie, um, what do you think of this? And then she'd reply through the robot. It was amazing.
0: I've seen I've um was at a show cuz I know someone who um wasn't able to attend school. The schools were back so they had a mm. kind of a laptop. Mm. And when they did group work, they'd pick the laptop up and put her in the group. Oh wow. But it was it was a she was a laptop, but there are robots. We were at the TSN show. We were, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know if you saw the robot going yes, around there.
1: Yes, there was one there. I saw it. Yeah.
0: And uh it was like uh, they, they, it was like a robot, but there was someone at their end and they could choose where to be. Whereas think if you're a laptop and you just put somewhere, you might get forgotten and things like that. And they they could call attention and things like that. So what works for that child works and what's wrong with that? Mm,
1: really good. And that's a really good example of a good supportive strategy, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, those supportive strategies for students out of the iceberg, it could be those supportive strategies might be um, family relationships that are going to help that student and their culture. I think a lot to do with exercise, you know, getting getting rid of that stress, keeping fit, being healthy, eating the right food. Um, the personality of that student, um, can you change that personality? Not really, but you can encourage them to do things and, and help people. Enthusiasm and confidence. I don't know. It's it's weird.
0: Um, personality and changing it is Again, you're it, trying you to work out how much is behaving, if how much personality. Have, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Because if you think of the hierarchy of needs, needs as you're yeah. going down, yeah. you might say their personality is getting worse.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So their personality or their behaviour yeah. will change the more yeah. you support them. So you're, right. funda- fundamentally you're not changing their personality. You no, know,
1: you can't change their personality. But
0: you are changing their behavior. Yeah. You're helping them change their perception of things which will influence their behavior. But their personality will stay the
1: same.
0: But um yeah, you can change a lot of how they interpret events.
1: Yeah, and that's resilience. And and we see that a lot, again, working with people with Blooming Marvellous, you know, where they first came out um, in the allotment and they just sort of went in their own plot and didn't really talk to anybody. And now they start talking to people and then interacting and doing group work together and, and then being able to eventually go out and get a job, you know, and do something because they feel stronger and supported and that's the same with our students to, to feel supported and then they'll be able to do really well, work very hard with that scaffolding to to enable them to succeed.
0: And it's it's when you've got somebody who won't join in, they're very kind of off and sit there. Mm. In, to take that risk of joining in for them is huge. It is massive. So there's a lot of work which goes into reducing the risk mm-hmm. So they can go, Dr. Pepper moment, what's the worst that could happen? Mm. That is really hard for them to come to terms with. And you've kind of got to give them motivation and show them, look, if you do this, this is mm. what you can get. There's lots of modelling going on. Mm. Um, and then help them feel confident. So that if it does go wrong,
1: mm. it it's all right. right
0: And sometimes it it it, you always want it to go wrong for if it goes wrong for someone else you go oh 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 the world didn't end for them oh it's okay so yeah lots of things like that and I think when you have a group and some people on the out and not joining in they're probably generally secretly subconsciously paying attention to what's going on in that group
1: yeah and wishing to join in and learning learning from failure. And learn it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it, if it doesn't work out. You know, we can learn from that, uh, improve your resilience and um, create good habits. Yeah. And just do really, really well in the end with that backing and support behind them.
0: So we've been talking for quite a while, Susie, as we often do. Yes. Um, apart from breaking apart your iceberg. Yes. Um, anything else you want to add? No, I think I've
1: spoken about everything under my iceberg. <laughs> I mean, we can always chip away <laughs> and chip off a few more things. But actually, no, I think that's absolutely fantastic, Dale. It's been really, really interesting talking to you today.
0: It is. I, I, the iceberg, I, think, when I, I I Susie sent me a load of stuff, and I'm literally going, well, I don't know all of it because I want to listen to Susie tell me. And there's a few bits, like the five generations, I went, ooh. That's really interesting. But I often see, uh, when I think of the iceberg, I say that it's what you see of that person. Mm. So, and often I would say that Susie might be very different, but often when you meet someone, you only see part of the, their personality, mm. the bit they allow you to see. I think Susie is one of those people who you get Susie. <laughs> you get Susie <laughs> whether you like it or not, you get Susie. But, you know, some people, you go into a situation and especially like if Ofsted comes in, you'll shrink your personality and you'll protect yourself. Yes. And so you have different people and that's like your icebergs. Like that. There's the bit you're showing, there's a the bit you're yes. sharing. Yes. There's a lot behind it. And the amount you share is decided by what's underwater.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, because you so might be sitting there not be able to answer questions mm-hmm. because of what's under that water, what yeah. they're struggling with. So if you're asking children what do you want to be when you're older, There's so many reasons they can't answer. There's Mm. loads of reasons. They might not actually have the capacity to understand what the options are, but they might be scared of, well, I want to do this, but I'll never get there. Mm. There's so many things that can cause that, and it is about working out what is under the water, what Mm. is it that I don't know Mm -hmm. that I need to go and find out about Mm. this child. Mm. And I think the younger those children are, the more there is you don't know what's underwater. Hopefully... As the, as the child gets older, it's identified by others. And also the child, I think, especially at sixth form, they know more about themselves.
1: Yes, maybe.
0: Yeah, they've transitioned from primary into secondary. They survived that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They've got through secondary, ups and downs. They've now gone to college and gone, well, this is different again. And that different transition is like, okay, okay, I'm doing quite well here. Why is it? And, I think I personally, I started to get a bit of self-reflection hitting mm. college. Mm. There are things I went to a different college. I didn't follow my sister's footsteps. I didn't want to be in their brother again. And go, Oh, you are go somewhere new, be my own person. What the impact of that? And it was just lots of finding out about myself then. Um, and I think for a lot of people that is, it helps them see. And you're sitting there going, why are you doing that? And they'll go, well, why am I doing that? you're kind of at that point where you're growing up and you're starting to take responsibility for yourself and I think you're starting to understand that because you get all that freedom
1: Mm, there's a lot of freedom you can go
0: to McDonald's between lessons yes you can go start having Costa coffees and having double espressos if you really want as well as uh, jobs and things like that so you start being a lot more what do I want because I can do anything I want right now the world is I'm at the start of this and it just helps them whereas I think watching my daughter at secondary school, she's almost waiting for that.
1: Mm.
0: She's waiting. For the freedom. For the freedom that she's not relying on me and mum to do things. She can make her own decisions. It's her money. She can get it wrong and she Mm. can learn from it. Yeah, that's really important. Not being prevented Mm. from getting it wrong.
1: Disappointed.
0: Yeah. Non-judgmentally supported. Mm.
1: Mm, That's very important.
0: (laughs) I, I will really try. Oh, I told you. No, no, no. But it is as every every person has that iceberg. Mm. Every person in every meeting. Is there something under there?
1: There is, and our, our principal calls it the emotional backpack. <laughs> I actually bought her one.
0: Of course you did.
1: I did. Because I saw someone on the tube in London with one. I thought she needs one of those. Because she always talks about her emotional backpack. So one day I went into college, and it was in the summer holidays. I don't know if it was after Results Day or before Results Day. And I went up to where her office was, and I um, put it on a chair. This is when she was an assistant principal. I put it on a chair, and there was this uh, rucksack. It said, emotional backpack. And inside, I had laminated sheets, and I'd used them for one of my talks for the staff. And the sheets in there were the words we've used today – Forces, free school meals—you know—all these key words—and I just dropped it on a chair and walked off. She was walking up and down the corridor, going, "Who's put this on my chair?" And then she thought,
0: "Who put that out of?" Course, I know who would have put
1: that. It's Susie been in college today, yeah. And she worked out it was me. I said, "Did you like your backpack?" She said, "Yeah." And she's used it loads of times you know, for training about talking about people with their emotional backpack and what's in there. And she could pull out these laminated sheets if she wanted to or she threw them away, I don't know. But a lot of the new teachers said that they've seen it.
0: Yeah, no, that emotional backpack. Because you go into this and we will start and you'll say something. Mm. just mostly something is in my backpack comes mm. out. Mm. Sometimes I want it to, sometimes I don't. but It does, you just sit there and just there's triggers and it's all there behind you.
1: Mm. It is.
0: Waiting to jump out. Thank you for coming on the show today, Susie.
1: It's a pleasure, Dale. I need to just sample those Percy pigs.
0: I've been the only one eating them, You've Susie. You've been noshing
1: them, I, I know. I just need to have one little one.
0: You have your, you have your well-earned Percy pig. Mm. Not the one on ice either. The Percy, Thank Fresh you. Percy pig. So we'll be putting, Susie's given me some links to put there. I'm hopefully I'll be able to put a picture of a Susie's iceberg on there as well. So you better have a look at that. Um, and that's from your, is it from a book?
1: Oka Books. The Oka Book artist drew it for me. So
0: uh, we'll have to put it on there. We're, we're going to triple check first to make sure we don't upset anyone. But it is, it is a great image. Um, and you'll find the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast or you'll find them on the website. And thank you for listening to it. If you haven't subscribed already, if this is your first Sendcast, please go to our website, www.thesendcast.com. And, and on there, you'll find links to the Sendcast and all the different podcast platforms. So wherever you want to listen to, there'll be a link take you to there and you can subscribe there. You can also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at the Sendcast, on Facebook, the Sendcast, on Instagram, the Sendcast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else, please send us a message on social media or send an email to hello at the Sencast.com. And somebody messaged me yesterday saying it's about Tourette's, which I haven't covered yet. So I've now got to find a guest on Tourette's. That's my next challenge. Um, and if you've enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into everything else we do here at B Squared? As well as the Sendcast, we host the virtual Send conferences, and these are a great way to get CPD around SEND to all staff that is extremely effective but also affordable. Each conference has 12 sessions, around 50 minutes each, that can be used in staff meetings or inset days. And we, as well as the conferences, we also have our range of assessment products to help schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. And we do content for Scotland, England, and Wales for a huge range of abilities. And if you are a school in England who are still confused by the engagement model, head over to the b website and check out our blog. I've written a blog all about the engagement model and what you actually need to do and what you don't need to do. And hopefully it'll make a lot more sense. And you can find out about our conferences, our assessment software, our blogs, and also our webinars all on the B-squared website which is www.bsquared.co.uk. And if you do have any questions or you want to know more, you can book a free online meeting or you can drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. So thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the Sendcast. It is goodbye from me.
1: And it's goodbye from me and Percy Pig. And Percy Pig. Bye, everyone. Bye.